friends, Romans, countrymen, lend me your ears. I come to bury Caesar, not to praise him. The evil that men do lives after them. The good is oft interred with their bones. So let it be with Caesar. The noble Brutus hath told you Caesar was ambitious. If it were so, it was a grievous fault. And grievously hath Caesar answered it. Here, under leave of Brutus and the rest, for Brutus is an honorable man, so are they all, all honorable men, come I to speak in Caesar's funeral. He was my friend, faithful and just to me. But Brutus says he was ambitious, and Brutus is an honorable man. He hath brought many captives home to Rome, whose ransoms did the general coffers fill. Did this in Caesar seem ambitious? When that the poor hath cried, Caesar hath wept. Ambition should be made of sterner stuff. Yet Brutus says he was ambitious, and Brutus is an honorable man. You all did see that on the Lupercal I thrice presented him a kingly crown, which he did thrice refuse. Was this ambition? Yet Brutus says he was ambitious, and sure, he is an honorable man. I speak not to disprove what Brutus spoke, but here I am to speak of what I do know. You all did love him once, not without cause. What cause withholds you then to mourn for him? O judgment, thou art fled to brutish beasts, and men have lost their reason. Bear with me. My heart is in the coffin there with Caesar, and I must pause till it come back to me. Welcome, everyone. You are listening to A Word Fitly Spoken. I'm Willie Grills here with Zell and Heidi to talk about cancel culture, reputations, and other important things. Selwyn, how are you? Well, I decided to come back in from the woods from my long absence and <laughs> rejoin the conversation, as it were. So I'm doing pretty well. <laughs> Here we go. Um, thanks for bearing with us with our Shakespeare posting. I didn't act it out. You're all welcome. I just decided to kind of read it rather flatly. But let me tell you, <laughs> I really wanted to just go full-on classical training for you. You got to dazzle them. You got to dazzle them sometimes, Zellin, with the humanities. <laughs> well, I, I did that speech a long time ago, and so I understand the need for, for dazzling. Yes. Right. You know, I did Shakespeare in college. I can admit that now. I think it's a safe place. <laughs> yeah, and so, so that's fine. Hey, what can I say? I'm, a, I'm just, a, just a proud white boy at the end of the day. That's not to be confused with the Proud Boys, who have been canceled. <laughs> uh, I'm just going to have to cancel you for reading Shakespeare and mentioning the word white now, Willie. So that's <laughs> true. Might as well shut it down, fam. Hey, if you, if we get uh, if we get taken off the podcasting servers, we'll we'll let the audience know how to find us. We will find a way if we have to duplicate <laughs> and mail out tapes to you. We'll do it. <laughs> that has a pretty wholesome feel to it, but yeah. It does. It really does. Well, glad that you survived, um, you know, the, the woods that no hunter was able to get you and that you are still eluding photographers for the most part. Any picture we've ever taken of Zellwin <laughs> is blurry, and I want to know why. <laughs> the world may never know, Willie. The world may never know. <laughs> right. So how how is the weather and how is the garden? Uh, the weather's actually been quite nice lately. I mean, it's it has been on the warm end of things, which for us fur-bearing mammals is, you know, a little <laughs> bit uncomfortable. But we've been getting a lot of rain lately, which we've been thanking God for. 
that is an answer to our prayers because we had been experiencing something of a drought and and now we've been getting quite a bit of rain, you know, fairly fairly frequently. So, you know, praise God for for his mercies which come to us every day. And oh, uh, the garden as a result is starting to pick up. It was looking lo- looking a little rough there for a while, but now I think it's starting to to really take off and do something. So, well, I'll keep you posted. I mean, like I said, it had a rough start, so we'll see what it does. Yeah. Weather's been very hot here. Um, we got a little bit of rain, but it was a very brief shower, so hope, hoping for some more. My garden's not looking so good, fam. It's it's fell prey to some industrial uh, Roundup use um, on the corn fields surrounding <laughs> us, so it's it looks a little bit bombed out and depleted right now. Sunflowers are doing okay, though, so I got that yeah. going for me. I'm a little embarrassed to show it, but that's okay, because if I become prideful, the Lord or industrial agriculture humbles me. Which, uh, whichever, you know, <laughs> he works through means is what I'm saying. But, exactly. uh, you know, getting, uh, getting some tomatoes on, but everything looks like, uh, it's, it, it, it looks like a dystopian science fiction out there right now. It's like a garden <laughs> in fallout or something. So that's fine. Well, don't, that's fine. don't, hopefully you won't have any rad scorpions coming in later, but <laughs> that's right. That's okay. I got plenty of uh, stem packs and uh, Nuka Cola tucked away in the <laughs> in the vault. Uh, this is going to be a wild one, but right. go on. Yeah, we did decide to kind of freeform this. This is going to be a little bit uh, different from what you know we've done for a little while. We're not going to bring you um, obscure and esoteric Lutheran history. There'll be relatively little UFO discussion, but we're gonna we plan on especially going forward tackling some more uh, contemporary issues and this certainly is one. So I mean what you know we've got cancel culture, we've got the opioid crisis coming up in some future episodes. And so we'll see how much trouble we can get into as we start tackling some contemporary subjects. But uh Zelman, why are we talking about this today? I we're talking about it because the the whole concept of cancel culture has become a rather troubling phenomenon within our in our day. I mean, you see it virtually every other day where someone said something or someone said something in the past, and now as a result, there are calls to boycott or to completely ostracize them. Uh, you know, I mean, it is a form of political control, which we will get into and we'll talk about, but it's reaching proportions which are downright scary. I mean... The, the, the way that people are using this to, to bludgeon others and to try to manipulate them into their own political outlook, right? Yes. You know, it's coming from certain perspectives, and it seems to actually be relatively successful right now. How far right. will it get before people push back? We don't know. We're not a generation born fighting, unfortunately, and so we're not used to pushing back, both as modern Americans, modern males. They just want to get their Funko Pops and do whatever and be left alone. <laughs> you know, I, I don't know what's caused all of this. And I'm not saying everything needs to be a fight, but there is a time when men have to dig in their heels and say, no, enough is enough. We need to right. contend for our liberties that we do um, in theory have in this country. And that that's, that's not the wrong thing to do. And of course we would affirm the right of other people to have opinions as well. I mean, sometimes, I mean, I really, I generally go between, <laughs> you know, constitutionalist or just pure on, theonomic uh, government. It just really <laughs> depends on where you catch me during the day. But for the most part, yeah, we, we believe that people, you know, should should be able to believe in uh, whatever they want, 
<laughs> as long as um, it's not interfering and it's not causing violence and harm on people. Now, of course, speaking as um, members of the church and, of course, as office bearers in the church, uh, we have to contend for certain things in a more bold way than the average person does. So we can't just simply sit back and say, hey, I'm okay, you're okay, you believe what you want. We do actually need to warn people of the folly of certain beliefs, of course. But right. just speaking in a very general civil way, you know, we could say, yeah, okay, people are entitled to their opinion and their beliefs. Uh, I think we can at least go that far. Yeah. Well, and I mean, and usually the way that this is presented and probably where we need to come at it in this episode is it's usually presented within, I guess, how do you want to, I don't know how you want to call it. Maybe I'll just be blunt and say uh, leftist viewpoints, these, these kinds of talking points where they're trying to get you to adhere to certain ideas, especially regarding our current issues with gender, our current issues with. And if you, yeah, and if you are not in lockstep with these views, then you should have your livelihood taken away. Right. Or even right. your life in some extreme examples. That's what we're seeing. See, this old canard that, and I don't want to use conservative. I, I, I'm done with that word. Um, the modern conservative has concerned has conserved nothing. We need to find a better word because I don't believe that a lot of, you know, they've let our rights be eroded. You know, the, the, uh, the conservative position for many today is the liberal position of 10 years ago. And that's not to, and that's not to demonize you out there who label yourselves conservatives. I'm not coming at you. I'm simply talking about where the movement and what that label has really stood for. That definition has shifted. So, but all all that to say, if we're more traditionally minded, for example, so if a traditionally minded person, we'll use conservative in in the broad sense for this too. They say, well, the conservatives are the ones who really want to censor people. Well, show me an example of that in recent history. Tipper Gore wanting to put a warning label on Prince albums in 1985. (laughs) Is that what you're talking about? (laughs) Because that's about all you got. Oh, 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 some Christians didn't want Harry Potter in the library. Yeah, that went about, uh, that lasted about 15 minutes. Yeah. (laughs) But now you have the literal uh, destruction of history. You have doxing of people, swatting of people. Um, It's out of control, fam. Well, and it's funny you should mention Harry Potter with this because, I mean, uh, J.K. Rowling actually is a great example of of this in action because uh, she has recently, of course, stated publicly her her beliefs regarding transgenderism and how she feels that it's encroaching on what it means to be a woman. Whatever we might say about how she puts things or whatever she's trying to say, she is being demonized for it and people are calling for canceling her, as they call it, you know, to try to completely ostracize her and to basically remove themselves from her in an effort to try to get her to fall back into line. Now, right. rolling to her credit has not budged up to this point, at least when we're recording this, as far as I know. Right. And she's an interesting example because she is, shall we say, left of center. And, you know, she's still being consumed by this culture. It's really kind of funny because, you know, it's the trans issue that's got her, but it's not been too long ago that she's been like, oh, and Ron Weasley was really gay, you know, the whole time. (laughs) I I appreciate your British accent in this, but, (laughs) but yeah. (laughs) <laughs> and and so you're not going to be able to appease these people. But the, the good news is Mel Gibson is doing better than he's 
done in 20 years. So <laughs> there's something <laughs> to be said about digging in, I guess. <laughs> and, and, and the thing is, you know, th- there are ways to argue our position that isn't helpful. There are ways, you know, but the question is, you know, can we have meaningful dialogue with somebody that's totally on the opposite end of the spectrum? Maybe, but it's getting less and less likely. Right. You know, um, people are not listening to each other. And so I don't believe that a defense is what's necessary. I think a strong offense is really the key here. And I'm I'm totally on board with you there. I mean, the whole the whole issue with this cancel culture outlook is the fact that, like you say, we're we're becoming less and less able to talk with one another. And as a result, this is really kind of an offensive weapon on the on the on the behalf of those who use it in an attempt to basically shut down discussion and basically to force someone into a certain position. I mean, it really is. I mean, it's intimidation. It's trying to destroy livelihoods all for the process of basically winning I guess arguments if you want to call it that but it's not really right. an argument is it it's seizing a power it's taking land it's I mean it's right. it, it, this is this is a battle whether we agree with it or not right and and it's increasingly turning physical unfortunately and so we are yeah. seeing a rise of violence in this country and that's what we don't want to see. We are we are to be peacemakers, but can a Christian, you know, for a Christian to be a peacemaker, does that mean capitulation? No. Mm-hmm. You know, it's blessed are the peacemakers. It doesn't say much about how successful that they are. Um, <laughs> because you can't always convince everyone. And right. uh and you can't even coerce everyone, uh depending. And and so yeah, uh, w- we are seeing uh, just the rise of what basically amounts to a thought police. There is a public orthodoxy that people are expected to adhere to. It is a little bit funny to me, and I do have friends on this side, and, and even I would I would even say dear friends uh, to a way that might surprise a lot of people. Now, they granted they're pretty few in number, but we Scots are a loyal crew, uh, so so it is what it is. But. But all that to say, it's becoming more and more difficult to have a, a reasoned conversation. You know, th- this is this is absolutely where we are. How does the church contend? What is the Christian's duty here? So when they're trying to erase people's ancestors or make us repent for the sins of our ancestors or the supposed sins, depending depending on what the accusation is, how does the Christian respond to that? Well, that's what we're going to talk about here, how we deal with that. And uh, where, too, have we been guilty of even demonizing our own dead, which I think is a problem too, often being willing to throw our ancestors under the bus. And the Christian is torn in a lot of ways. We are called to honor our fathers and our mothers, and I think that that does apply to our forefathers as well, insofar as we can. And we can't always. I mean, you know, a lot of people who would want to demonize their ancestors of the 19th century want to lionize their marauding pagan ancestors of the 6th century. So <laughs> there's just a a strange disconnect that that we have, and so we have to discuss this. Zellman, any any further thoughts? Moving on. Well, I mean, and and it's not just a matter of our ancestors, and you know what has happened in the past when it wasn't even us. I mean, you even have very often and very frequently people who are demonized for things that they have said, maybe in an off moment in the past. Or maybe they said something that was, you know, 
I don't know how you want to put it, much more within the bounds of public orthodoxy 10 years ago, but is now considered to be hate speech. And so they are, you know, demonized for it or, you know, in a call to repent. And the, and the thing about this movement, too, is that it very often offers them, offers the other side no opportunity whatsoever to explain themselves, no opportunity whatsoever for seeking any kind of, you know, real forgiveness in this. It really is a kind of crushing someone underfoot in the hopes of basically, you know, getting them to completely capitulate, right? Yes, yes. And I think the key to this, um, or one of the keys anyway, is to to get rid of these platitudes, and maybe I'll be bold enough later in the episode to talk about some of these. There are (laughs) real differences between people. There are real differences between groups. And I think the left actually understands this better than conservatives want to. And these things shouldn't drive wedges between us. It should just affirm our humanity a bit, right? That in the eschaton, there will be those of every tribe, tongue, and nation. So we can't pretend as if human and cultural differences don't exist. I think step one is acknowledging that and then talking about it based upon that. To go up to to some of these protesters or whatever and say, hey, we're all the same, um, it's not going to be the most convincing thing to them. Yeah, we're all human. I think they would agree with that. At least for now, this this episode may date horribly in two or three weeks. <laughs> but you know there are real differences, uh, significant cultural differences, um, significant differences of perspective. So how do we communicate there? And basically, it starts with at least trying to say, okay, everybody has a voice to one degree or another. But from the sure. Christian end, it is speaking truth to this power, and it is. This is a powerful force in the country right now. It is not a revolution. You can't have a revolution in the in the sense they understand it when every major corporation is endorsing your viewpoint. Right. When the government is swiftly enforcing your viewpoint, that's not quite a revolution. That's enforced <laughs> status quo. It it is a revolution to to a certain degree, but it's not the one they think. You know, right. when like you know when when McDonald's is uh is is your basically your sponsor you're you're part of the machine. I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> you're pretty corporate. Yeah, I mean, there's really yeah. there's really no two ways around it. And and right. to be fair, I think we should in a, some future episodes actually address issues of uh, Marxism and actually, you know, social Marxism and, and that giant hydra that never seems to die. But at least for the purposes of this episode, yes, I think that what we are dealing with here is a enforcing of the of the current spirit of the age in a way that is somewhat unprecedented from the way from how it was done before it should not surprise us that people are easily swayed in one direction or the other because i think they could be swayed in another direction if the media and other sources were on the other side people are becoming increasingly pliable because of their consumption of media Um, the coronavirus has kind of conditioned americans to accepting what they've been told and doing what they're told in a way that we haven't seen in some time, not since sure. World War II and Victory Gardens and war bonds. And even then it wasn't quite like what we see. So it shouldn't surprise us that people are just kind of going with, with what they're told. We are presupposing that the Marxist worldview is incorrect, by the way, for the purposes of this discussion. <laughs> and and again, this is not to, to totally take away from certain issues. I mean, this is not to make light of violence in America. 
and uh, and certain policies that perhaps need to be uh, revisited. But it is an attempt to try to pull it away from the sieve that this narrative is pushed through. And what when when they want to compartmentalize everything and 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 make the issues, uh, it, it obscures the real issues that that there might be to discuss. Is what I'm saying, and that's exactly what the the devil wants. That's exactly what the malevolent powers that be want is to really distract from any actual actual work and to keep people fighting and divided. This this chaos is is not good, and, and ultimately our goal should be peace. I would say Christian reconciliation. I'll put that caveat there because worldly reconciliation is kind of a double-edged sword, so to speak, or can be. The friendship of Herod and, and Pilate, as it were. <laughs> exactly. But hey, we're up here on the first break. We'll be right back with more Word Fitly, unless we're canceled between now and the commercial break. <laughs> we'll be right back. As for God, His way is perfect. The word of the Lord is tried. He is a shield to all them that trust in Him. The book that sits on your shelf, the one gathering dust, word fitly spoken, asks you to once again take up and read. Hear the words of the only wise God and be saved. We'll be right back. Welcome back, everyone. You are listening to A Word Fitly Spoken. I'm Willie Grills here with Zellin Hiding, talking cancel culture, reputation, and putting the best construction on whatever. All right, so we had a good uh, setup for this episode, a good first segment. So now I want to take some time to talk about the importance of reputation, because what we deal with a lot in the current year is what amounts to slander, or at least putting the worst construction on things. Proverbs tells us that a good name is to be chosen rather than great riches, and favor is better than silver or gold. And so even like an accusation of impropriety or sin can nearly ruin a man's life. Ecclesiastes 7 says a good name is better than precious ointment in the day of death than the day of birth. That's actually not the one I wanted to. Sometimes the Jack Van Impey uh, synapses don't come. It's 10-1 I'm thinking of. Dead flies. <laughs> it's 10-1. Dead flies make the perfumer's ointment give off a stench, so a little folly outweighs wisdom and honor. And so, and so a person's reputation is important and really a, a relatively fragile thing. First Timothy admonish, or St. Paul admonishes us in First Timothy 3, uh, moreover, uh, he must be well thought of by outsiders so that he may not fall into disgrace into the snare of the devil. We're talking about an overseer who must be above reproach, husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money, managing his own, own household well, so on and so forth. But that first one's what we want to talk about. Above reproach, you must have a good reputation. Reputation is important. 
um, in the scriptures from the Old Testament to the New Testament. Um, the cursing of one's brother is a chief sin within the scriptures. Right. And also the cursing of one's leaders, too, or, you know, our father and mother, or yeah, a it leader all extrapolates of the people. from that. Yeah. Uh, you know, honoring thy father and thy mother, of course, speaking well of them is implied. And that, as we understand it, um, applies to other authorities as well. And we could say, too, that the authorities should also speak well of, of those beneath them as well. Sure, right. Those who are under their authority. And and so that that's where we are. We are very flippant with regard to how we talk about others. The Christians are very guilty of this, too. The tongue is hard to bridle, and so we often don't think about what our words can do. Well, now, now you're just James posting. Right. <laughs> and we know that that doesn't count, right? As a spring pour forth from the same opening, both fresh and salt water, gentlemen, can a fig tree bear olives or a grapevine produce figs? So how can from the same mouth come blessing and cursing, right? To paraphrase James again. <laughs> and, you know, that's one of the things Christians are seen as foolish to the world. And I think that that explaining everything in the kindest way, which is not my favorite way to phrase that, by the way, but to be to be kind and to speak well, even of our enemies, is something that perplexes the world. Right. And so now that doesn't mean we make things up. I mean, obviously, we've already said some very pointed things uh, concerning our adversaries, and you find that in the scripture too. Right. But when it comes to personal enemies, it becomes even more complicated. We are called to to bless and not to curse, as we had in the lectionary a couple weeks ago, if you're in the historic lectionary. And and really, that's where we are. It's a difficult thing to learn. It, can Can a man of this fallen world master that? But it's something that even we Christians do not take seriously. We like to be polemic. We like to be provocative. We have fallen prey to something of a cancel culture of our own on the Christian internet, where everybody wants to be clever and Everybody wants to get the jabs in their, at their uh, specific uh, enemies. And there is a time, there is certainly a time to be pointed, and we need to be very direct, perhaps now more than ever. But we can also be guilty of just being jerks. Right. And having forked tongues. Well, I think, I think with all of this, too, because you're, you're kind of hitting on two different things, which is, on the one hand, to have a good reputation and to live in a way which is above reproach, but also to treat the other person in a way that is not going to, uh, you know, unnecessarily tarnish the reputation or, you know, essentially demonize them. And I mean, the two of them are related. I mean, and I think I think since you've been talking so much about the second one more, you know, just recently here, we can kind of focus on that one for the time being, you know, you know, what does it mean to speak well of someone? What does it mean to take the, you know, to actually give them a fair opportunity to actually let them speak for themselves rather than, you know, just kind of assuming what it is that they're going to speak, they're, they're saying. I think that's part of the problem we see on the internet a lot is that because text and just, you know, raw words are so devoid of any kind of context, we very often put our own assumptions into what someone else is saying. And unfortunately, given the suspicion that the internet kind of breeds, that is usually not a good kind of, a good way to approach that. Right. Yeah. And so, you know, we want to do that. We also want to be protective of our brothers and sisters. And so when they are maligned, 
we should seek to uphold their reputation. Right. Right. And so, so we should try to explain our brothers and sisters, or at least put the best construction on it when their neighbors won't. Well, and I think especially, you know, you're saying to, to be fair to them, fairness does not mean being overly nice, which I think is sometimes the way some people take that as a mm-hmm. way of, Oh, you're arguing on the internet, eighth commandment kind of a thing, you know, ah, the old eighth commandment. Yeah. Uh, that, that, <laughs> yeah. That what we used to shut everything down. Never mind the fact that, you know, it could be public theological discourse, but hey, you, Eighth Commandment, Matthew as well, you've got a, did you talk to him in private? No, I didn't talk to the public false teacher with an audience of millions of people in private. No, I didn't do that. (laughs) Guy published a public article, you know, that's just filled with, with craziness. You can't engage with that unless you, unless you send them a, unless you send them a certified letter. And, (laughs) I mean, it, it's just silly. It, I mean, a lot of this this fake boldness that we see today is just uh, schoolyard bullying and, and actually weak weak men who who couldn't stand up in a real fight or a real debate. So it's easy to just to just poke away uh, in the digital age. Yeah, and then it's funny. Uh, these guys will come out, you know, uh, swinging, and then someone will swing will 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 swing back, and then oh, they're they're surprised that they were assaulted. I use that metaphorically, I'm, you know, speaking of internet discourse. And yeah, we, we see this all the time. Again, there is a place for, uh, I want to be very clear, there is a place to be pointed. There is, a, And that's actually kind of what we're talking about here, that part of uh, the best construction and part of upholding your neighbor's reputation sometimes is a very bold defense of them, even publicly. And sure. sometimes putting the best construction on something is to just call a thing what it is. This is right. bad. I mean, you could also say this is good, too, depending right. on what the situation is. But to say, no, this position is objectively bad, or this person actually is a rogue. You know, I, I, I saw him rob a bank. What do I do? Well, maybe it was dark in there. Maybe it wasn't really a bank. Maybe I was confused. <laughs> maybe maybe he's just poor. Maybe he can't buy groceries right now. And so that's yeah, why did you not robbing. Did you not read Les Miserables? <laughs> Even Jean Valjean served, you know, however many years in prison and was better for it. But go on. Jean Valjean is, is evidence <laughs> of a life of repentance. This true. And Jean Valjean didn't make a didn't make his living off his uh, reputation as a bread thief and, and general scoundrel. <laughs> Something he was trying to run away from the whole time. Right. You know what? We should just do an episode on that. We should just pivot and just start talking about this. <laughs> You know, it's interesting because because Hugo does write the, the character of the bishop in Les Miserables as a way to shame what he saw as deficiencies in the Christians of his day. Well, actually, I was just going to mention, uh, talking about uh, Les Miserables is going to lead into talking about Hugo's basically lack of beliefs. And it just right, could yeah, go yeah. <laughs> a rabbit hole that could go on forever is what I'm saying. So. <laughs> right. You know, but he, you know, I mean, it's kind of fitting though. We do talk about him, an example of a non-believer who wants to um, push the church in his direction. And we have heard a lot about this too, from people who don't believe trying to steer the church. Um, and, and the church's reputation, by that I mean the holy and immaculate bride of Christ is slandered a lot today. Sure. And, and that's not a good, that's not a good uh, place to find ourselves. 
And sometimes Christians want to agree with that too. Oh yes, the church is very wicked and very sinful. Can we be careful about how we talk about Christ's bride, please? <laughs> Same team, guys. Same team. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. You know, one of those things is he has to present the bride as, you know, holy and immaculate, kind of a big theme in the scriptures. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I mean, and with all this, too, I mean, this is kind of pivoting back around to what you were saying about having a good reputation. You know, there is a way in which we should carry ourselves so that there is not opportunity for such slander or even for such rightful condemnation, which I think is unfortunately something we see a lot of today, too, where people are, are behaving in ways that actually deserve the, the censure of those around us. Yeah. And, you know, to, to try to live in a way where you're not, say, uh, a drunkard, right? Or or just a scallywag, just kind of just out there, just being uh, just debauched in public. I mean, you shouldn't be debauched in private either, but we're talking about reputation here, which is right. more of a public thing. I mean, I see pushback from some people. Oh, well, that doesn't matter because, I don't know, mapietism or something like that, that you're somehow a legalist if, if that matters. And and But yet there is kind of a, a virtue signaling, like, the men who want to appear like the world in every aspect, from the way they dress to the way they talk and the way they act and the way they live their lives, that's actually them trying to have a reputation, a good reputation in the eyes of some people. They want to impress people with their reputation. Right. Right. Even though it's in a negative way. You know, I can think of uh, an example from back home in the uh, Appalachian Mountains and I don't know that this is necessarily a good example, but it does remind me. So where I grew up, it was uh, dry counties. And what we mean by that is alcohol sales of any kind were illegal. No package sales, no no alcohol in restaurants. That actually didn't change until years after I moved out. I mean, only in recent years have the have the towns in the county gone to legalized alcohol sales. So the Volstead Act finally repealed. <laughs> the county is still officially dry. And I could tell you, you know, like stories about bootleggers and how people would bring in stuff, but neither here nor there. Obviously, the churches, very Methodist influence, a lot of Methodist Wesleyan holiness churches in that part of Kentucky, very anti-alcohol. And there's a local soft drink made in Winchester, Kentucky called Ale 8. It's a ginger soda. So uh, master race, uh, great soda, you know, <laughs> uh, ginger ale for life uh, here. And so... Uh, but it comes in glass green bottles. You can get cans now too, but it glass green bottles. So it looked like beer bottles. So uh, a lot of the church people wouldn't be caught drinking an AL8 in their car, lest someone think they were drinking a beer. And what was funny hmm. is it, they were never concerned about being spotted drinking and driving. It was it was just being <laughs> spotted with a beer, period. And and the car seemed to be you know the most visible place. So they would some of them would be very careful. About, uh, you know, this is a little bit of the older people. The younger ones are more relaxed on their uh, soda pop of choice. But I've often thought back to that about how, you know, is this a good thing? Is this a bad thing? I mean, is this there, there's a legalistic sense in which you're just concerned that your neighbor is going to judge you. Right. But there is a kind of a wholesome sense in which if you believe that drinking any alcohol is an evil, then you wouldn't want to be associated with that. I probably sure. shouldn't use an alcohol example on a Lutheran podcast, but it does make <laughs> one think. It does make one think. Um, and probably, I think, uh, or, you know, really the, the best example, contemporary example, is going to be like consumption of marijuana at this point. 
which still sure. does have largely negative societal con- connotations. Well, I mean, but this this would be getting into like the older gener older generations of theologians. You think back, like in Walther's day, or even something as recent as Gerberding's day, and their very often frequent condemnation of uh, dance halls and uh, saloons and all of this sort of thing, which a lot of people treat as kind of antiquated today, and say like, "Oh, that's mm-hmm. nice. You know, they were just." That was their time. That was just the way that they thought about things. But yeah, no plays, no movies, that sort of thing. Yeah, but in, in reality, I think the impulse behind these prohibitions that they had, and especially for ministers of the gospel, was actually a good one, because the the impulse behind it was to avoid the appearance of evil. Yeah. Okay? So I mean, right. if I mean if, and this is and this is kind of again, you know, maybe maybe I'm coming. People are going to misunderstand what I'm saying here, but um, you know. A minister of the gospel, especially someone who is acting as an ambassador of Christ, should probably not put himself into situations which might even be lawful for him to to be in if it's going to cause unnecessary scandal. I think alcohol is a very frequent one. You still hear people even outside the church will say, you know, oh, well, I thought you weren't supposed to drink. You know, like like it's somehow evil for a minister to drink. Obviously, would say no. Alcohol is a good gift that God has given to us, and one which we might, in, which we may partake of. But at the same time, as Paul says, you know, if if eating meat is going to cause my my brother to stumble, I will never eat meat. Yeah, and so this is um this is an interesting uh, juxtaposition between the first segment and now the second segment where we talked about our liberty where there is we do need to contend for our right to assemble our right, right to believe what we want but there is a point at which a christian limits his own liberty for the sake of the brother and we can do it in matters of food and drink i don't know that right now we can do that uh, in matters uh concerning cancel culture whatever we want to call it right the current political civil paradigm means that a that it's now almost a matter of confession that we be bold and we speak up. But there's a difference between being bold about something and, you know, causing unnecessary offense about something too. Yes, absolutely. We can be unnecessarily provocative. You know, right now, I think our biggest challenge is I don't think we should again, I'm talking about offense instead of defense. I think defense is the win is the losing move right now. It's offense we need. <laughs> <laughs> and so what we must do is instead of trying to convince those against us, we need to first convince the Christians among us of a biblical position on something and build up strong Christians that can right. then, in greater numbers, that can then publicly contend for the faith. It's almost a tit-for-tat situation. Okay, leftists over here are going to boycott X. Aha, well, now the conservatives will endorse X you know, or vice versa. Uh, so I love Goya products. I do. I've got them <laughs> in my pantry. I was Goya before Goya was cool. Well, all of a sudden, now everybody's buying Goya beans. I can't find black beans on the shelf because it's now a political statement. I can't even add Goya products to my to my grocery order now because people think I'm trying to be political. I just want my beans, man. And <laughs> But that, that would be, you know, the latest example. Um the left side is trying to boycott Goya because the CEO spoke at Trump's White House. 
Never mind that he spoke at Obama's. But now, okay, so it's just, it's signaling on both sides. And yeah, keep buying Goya because I want him to be there uh, forever. But these things are fickle because you all signed it with Chick-fil-A two or three years ago, 10 years ago, you know, through her various controversies. And now Chick-fil-A has sided with the other side. And and that's God's chicken. And so, (laughs) see, you can't just always buy into every single little controversy, but that's what uh, the social media drives us towards. So we're not even discerning in what we want to do. And then see, we get almost, we're almost guilty of perpetuating cancel culture in a way ourselves by doing this. Right. Again, buy Goya, eat Chick-fil-A, don't eat Chick-fil-A. I really don't care. But I'm just using this as an illustration to show how it's this tit for tat thing. But but you should buy Goya because it is pretty pretty good. <laughs> And I, I do think that this is related to kind of what we were talking about here in the second section with reputation and having a good reputation and stuff like that. Because when we're caught up in the political statement of the moment, whatever that might be, you know, we can unnecessarily destroy reputations in the process. Yeah. You know, to make someone out to be this horrible, terrible person simply because they, yeah. I don't know, side with one particular. Right. They said with Goya, this, for example. That's where I would caution. You know, we need to be equipping Christians, making wise Christians, and defending our Christian brothers and sisters. Because it is going to get, I mean, it's already a little wild out there, but I think it's going to get wilder still. <laughs> but with that, we are up on our second break. We'll be right back with more Word Fitly. The word of the Lord says, Get wisdom, get understanding, forget it not, neither decline from the words of my mouth. You can check out all of the Word Fitly Spoken podcasts on Podbean, iTunes, or your favorite podcast app. We'll be right back. Welcome back, everyone. You are listening to A Word Fitly Smoking. I'm Willie Grills here with Zell and Heidi talking about cancel culture and other related things. Thank you all for going into the weeds with us because we're kind of all over the place here because there's just so much to talk about. Um, So many strings we have to, to tie together here between the cancel culture, speaking well of one another, protecting a man's reputation. How does it all tie together? And now we really come, though, to the thrust of this where you're looking at social media. Or maybe you're a little older, maybe you're just watching television or or however you consume your media. And many of you may be saying, okay, how do I even know? One talking head says this, one says another. The answer is really whatever Tucker Carlson says you should listen to. But beyond <laughs> that, you know, what do we, you know, where, where do we stand? You know, how does a Christian discern? And this brings us uh, to the words of our Lord, which were, uh, judge not. And then he put a period, and then that was it. That's all he said. 
The end of the right? gospel. Period. The end of the gospel. Because everybody knows that <laughs> verse. But of course, that's not the case. He continues on. He tells us not to be hypocrites, and we are called to judge with righteous judgment. So we're called to discern. So how does a Christian discern what to do, what to say, what to think in these in these times of trial? Zellin? Well, honestly, the first place that we should begin with anything is to, you know, judge the spirits according to the word, to actually go back to the scriptures, to consider what the scriptures have to say about any given subject and to, you know, kind of delve deeply into it in order to find out the voice of the Holy Spirit on any given matter. Now, you have to understand that's not something that's going to be like, okay, I need to look up, you know, Hezekiah chapter seven or something like that, <laughs> you know, to, to make up a fictitious reference there. But it is really to, to be, to be d- deep in the scriptures and actually to take the time, maybe even to say like, what do the scriptures have to say about this? And really just begin in Genesis or something and just kind of pick, pick through it and see what you can find. I think, I think, you know, dealing with it in those kinds of systematic, careful, methodical kind of ways can often be a very helpful exercise. Now, I realize that maybe not everyone has the time for that kind of thing, although we should make the time for that kind of thing, but that's beside the point. But really just to consider what the scriptures have to say in great depth, rather than looking for some kind of soundbite theology. Certainly. A Christian life, and see, this is is part of our issue as Lutherans. We want to we want to pretend as if our manner of life doesn't matter as if we are not buried with Christ in baptism as if we are not dead to the world that our lives to be united by his resurrection means walking in his narrow way and just to be frank i don't think you can separate those two but we want to compartmentalize those a christian sure. will live differently and that it, that doesn't mean that a Christian life looks like Rick Santorum, moral majority kind of stuff. It doesn't mean that the Christian life looks like some kind of quote unquote radical love, Nadia Bold's Weber with her, you know, with her uh, vest clerical things that she wears or the sleeveless clerical shirts. It doesn't mean that either. A, a Christian life is going to advocate for his neighbor, certainly going to put the best construction. It's not going to be greedy. We, you know, we wouldn't. We would advocate for um, a fair shake for workers, for example, or, you know, we would defend. And then on the on the flip side, we would defend the right to personal property and things like that. But that's getting almost too political. But a Christian life is going to look different and it's going to be in what we do. What we I should say what we believe. And then from that flows what we do and even how we order our lives. And and so it's going to be markedly different. And it's through the cultivation of those things, though, that we begin to see things more clearly. I do believe that the faith has to be lived out. And sure. so the, tr- the treasury of daily prayer or even portals of prayer alone won't get you there. You, 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 have to wrestle, <laughs> you have to wrestle with the scriptures. You need to read through a book, read through a whole right. book, wrestle with what it says. You need to pray daily. You need to you need to go to church. You need to um, be engaged in the life of the church, and through these means, receiving the sacraments, prayer, um, reading the word, a a a Christian is changed. 
whether you believe that or not, doesn't matter. It's true. And, and, and so in that change, uh, we, we begin to see the world in a much, in a much different way. And that is something that will, that your, your mind, your, your renewed mind will become sharper um, as you go. For many of us, it's too late to completely do this, but for many out there, they have young children. They're in a position where they can raise them this way. I, I think that is the future of, of insulating ourselves in a good way from the pressures of society. And one thing that I would say with that too, is that when we are living out what it means to be a Christian, you know, informed by the scriptures, you know, shaped by what God is doing within us, you know, as being part of the the baptized church, very often that may mean living in a way contrary even to our own culture. I think very often what happens is, is that we kind of assume that being a Christian is more or less, I mean, I, I, for the for lack of a better way to put it, like more or less being American as Americans. And therefore, we find a very real uh, dissonance when we see that America is moving off of, you know, what she used to be even 40 years ago. Yeah, I think that's actually a very good point that, oh, America is not being Christian. Well, okay, what do you, what do you mean by Christian, right? <laughs> that's kind right. of what you're getting at. So they've confused... Right. Certain aspects of the culture with the faith, yeah. Right. So there may very well be times where, let's say, even the culture is being very favorable towards the faith. You know, obviously that's not right now. But a Christian is still going to live in a way which is somewhat contrary to certain aspects of that culture. You know, a Christian in in that sense is in the world but not of it. I mean, to, to quote the scriptures in this regard, we are always... Right looking for our heavenly home, a better country, to, to quote Hebrews, and uh, to find that better city. Because the, the, the city of man in that sense is is always going to be insufficient, imperfect in yeah. some way. And I do think in reality, a lot of what we're talking about is going to be an interior renewal. Sure. I don't think that necessarily going out into our own villages and doing things. I'm I'm very mixed on. I see like people moving to other countries that are more friendly to the faith for now, and I, I have I have kind of mixed feelings on this. I certainly see the appeal, sure, of getting out and going somewhere where we can raise families and societies in Christian freedom, and yet the. The United States of America also needs Christians, and there right. are plenty of us here. We don't have to import missionaries. I, yeah, that's what we always hear. They're going to be sending missionaries to us. We have enough, but we have people who are who are scared. We need to embolden men to, you know, we need to embolden witnesses to to stand up. And I think the Holy Spirit will raise up witnesses if if things get worse. So yeah, I, I don't know that that leaving is, is the key. And I know we've kind of gone off track a little bit. It's just something I've I've been thinking about. But I certainly understand the appeal. But there there is a need to stay and to fight and to contend. And we right. might be continually marginalized. That's I suppose that's that's what's coming. But that's why we need all the things that we talked about: prayer, scriptures, means of grace, in order to to withstand. Well, because remember, one of the key things about cancel culture in general is that it really is a move towards you know, getting you to conform to something, basically trying to push you in a direction in a very negative fashion to get you to fall into the status quo. 
To be a Christian in the midst of a hostile culture is not about engaging in our own form of cancel culture, like, oh, I'm going to, you know, just boycott everything. But it really is just living differently so that men will see your good works and glorify God who is in heaven. I mean, you you think about uh, the early days of the church, for example, when they were living within a hostile culture. You know, they didn't, I mean, yes, there were kings involved in the Christianization of the West. And, you know, there was a lot of political moves that kind of helped the church along. But it really was the example of Christians in those days that convinced many of the, the rank and file to, to become Christians themselves. And so I think if we're going to engage a culture which is trying to actively get us to conform, you know, try to drive us by fear into their positions, especially when they're contrary to the scriptures, I think we have to resist that, but we also have to show them a better way, which is unfortunately something we haven't been doing much of. Right. I mean, because here, you know, we are looking at a, a movement that is radically pro-abortion. Right. And that we can all agree upon, but it's also radically anti-family. Right. They want to see the breakdown of the nuclear family, which is very dangerous. That is the bedrock of society. I mean, it's it's part of creation. We right. need that. And so even, you know, even things like reparations and, so, and things like that, I think take a backseat to to the attack on the, on the family. And I, and I really do think that this is, that this is important. If we lose our children, we lose our, we lose everything. Um, God has given us our children that we would raise them in the fear and admonition of the Lord. And so we must protect that. That's, that's difficult because it doesn't mean that they're going to come in and literally take your children away necessarily. I'm not going that far, but what we allow our children to view and and allow to influence our children's minds is is very important. So we need to be careful about that because right. you're seeing younger people, um, by and large, going going into this. You know, well, the Mickey Mouse Corporation says this, so I need to believe this, right? <laughs> Marvel movie star says this, so I can. And that's that's really kind of the funny thing to me, but I think we're starting to see this go away. We're seeing louder and louder celebrity voices trying to tell us what, what we believe, but a very big white pill is seeing people just, nobody cares what Brie Larson thinks, right? <laughs> I don't care. <laughs> or any of them. But like, you know, she's she's won all the time. Like, do, okay, Taylor Swift, that's cool. You want, you want the Confederate monuments to go down. That's nice. Conveniently said after she was a country music star. And so... <laughs> That's good. Although we are seeing more than we've seen in a long time, the influence of politicians as pop culture figures in a way we haven't seen in several decades. Sure. And and so, you know, tr- tr- people with true political influence now have a pop culture influence that is very powerful. And again, I don't think the key is to get, okay, then we need to have the Christian version of AOC. That's the key, right? <laughs> <laughs> you know, we need to have the Chris. Oh, kids are listening to the rap music. We need to do Christian rap. That'll get them. That'll get them in. No, that's not the key. We teach. We teach our children. Uh, we teach our uh, our brothers, our friends, what sources to get your information from. What influences are good for you. We don't just try to ape something like that. You know, I, I need a. You know, I want a, I want a Christian Kamala Harris or a Christian. Um, a Christian, I need I need a male example here, Zelwyn, so I so I can be an equal opportunity. 
you know. <laughs> I'm 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 drawing a blank here, but Joe. I Biden, need a Christian. Uh, yeah, Tom Ryan. Uh, oops, or Paul Ryan. Whoops. Sorry, folks. Ayn Rand. I just want to say this: Ayn Rand and Christianity not compatible either. So it can cut both ways. Yeah, I don't want to. I don't want to just use Democrat examples because there are bad examples on on the right side too that have been just as guilty of perpetuating a culture of greed as a virtue, which it isn't. It isn't. These things aren't neutral. So the Christian must must be influenced by good things. And rarely is, rarely, there are exceptions. One I mentioned about 20 minutes ago. But, but rarely is the talking head or even the elected official always always the best. I mean, how many great political figures do we see in the Bible yeah. Okay. Fair enough. <laughs> I'm, right? I'm, I mean, there's a few, a few, there's a few, there's a few, but for every one, there's two or three prophets that had to correct another one <laughs> or and, correct the good one too, but, or even correct the good one to bring the good one to repentance. You know, do we have prophets today? Is it possible that God would raise up a prophet to speak against the prevailing culture? He has spoken to us in his son, Willie. I mean, that's in Hebrews, right? Right. <laughs> he has raised up a prophet, Jesus Christ. What I was going to say, though, I, is something I think in thinking of all of this is that we we shouldn't, in going in on the offense, we shouldn't engage in a kind of a, a no you or a uh kind of reaction to all of this, you know, to be simply reactionary, which I think you see a lot of when you hear these arguments like, well, the other side are the real fill in the blank, you know. I'm just kind of deflecting back your accusation and saying, well, you guys are actually the the real ones. You know, it doesn't stick to me. It's going to stick to you because it's opposite day. Yeah. Use the real racists. Oh, I yeah. didn't want to say it, but there you go. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the the problem with that kind of approach is, is it really isn't dealing with the issue at hand. It's just kind of engaging in the same kind of attack that the other side is bringing and it's not putting anything back into its place it's just becoming something of an echo more than anything if we are going to influence the culture well, yeah, I mean, as yeah. Christians, echoes are a big are a big problem with what you know to uh, a big part of the problem <laughs> you know just this constant echo chamber i i, I hear you i hear you yeah i mean if, if we're going to truly influence the culture though and to actually be you know City, cities on the hill, a city on the hill, so to speak. We have to engage these issues in a way that shows that there isn't, it isn't just a matter of being right or left. It's a matter of being Christians in the midst of a fallen world. Sometimes mm -hmm. that's going to mean that we're going to be siding with one side over the other. Sometimes that's going to mean that we're siding with neither side. But what it does mean yeah. above all is that we are following after our Lord, who is, in fact, the king over all things, right? Yeah, absolutely. And, and I think that's a very important point, that in many political questions and even cultural questions, it's not an either-or. And it's not that it's a gray area. You know, it's just that one party in our basically two-party system does not perfectly encapsulate a biblical confession of the Christian faith. No. Now, one might come closer— and we're not going to tell you who to vote for uh, by any means, but we are simply saying that there are certain political movements that we just cannot endorse as Christians. It's not, right. a, not everything is neutral. And so this, this great discernment that we're given, we, you know, we must carefully take up. 
And so, yeah, uh, you know, like you said, Zelwyn, we have to rely on the word. Uh, we have to um, allow ourselves to be formed by it. Right. And that's often not going to look like one side or the other in in the world's eye. You know, the, they would see a truly Christian position on things, and, and in, in, in many ways, in some ways, they would say, well, I can't quite fit this into this, you know, political sphere here. And and I, that's fine. Again, I'm not advocating for gray areas by any means. That's kind of what people want to do. Well, it's a gray area. No, I think most things truly are black and white. It's just right. where does that fit on the grid? Well, and nor is this a call to be like these kind of centrists as if, oh, well, being a middling position is the right answer and everything. No, that's that's not what it means to be Christian on this. What it means is that there are times, I mean, very often, like you say, black or white, you do have to say, thus saith the Lord on regards to this issue, regardless of whether that means I'm espousing uh, Democratic talking points or whether I'm espousing Republican talking points. You almost have to admire an avowed leftist and certainly, or, or even a uh, very, very far right person, because at least it's from a place of conviction. Right. The centrist is often guilty of of just weak concessionism. Right. <laughs> you know, and that's almost a virtue signal itself. I'm neither. I'm I'm both. I'm right in the middle. Okay, cool. So nothing's going to get done either way. That's great. Good to learn. Good to know. And I appreciate and, and to be fair to the people who advocate for a centrist position, they are simply trying to mediate between two extremes. Sure. And really, that's what our politics kind of come down to ideally is a compromise between two extremes. Although I think we're seeing less and less of that anymore, but it is kind of at the very least hard to get fired up about a purely centrist guy. You know, it's, it's Kang, <laughs> Kang versus Kodos, right? <laughs> Who do you want to vote for here? And then, but centrists are increasingly not winning. Right. You, you are seeing more and more people on the left and the right taking harder positions, respectively, and those are the ones that are winning in many cases. So it's almost as if even even fallen man respects zeal and consistency <laughs> in that way. <laughs> and, maybe, and maybe the way to put it, again, just in fairness to centrists, who are actually centrists by conviction, I, I imagine that they exist in some form. Yeah, a centrist by conviction, yeah, maybe. Uh, a centrist just because he thinks he's going to win the election on that is a different animal. Right. But just, just to be fair to everyone involved, I mean, it, it really isn't even a matter of, like you say, being right, left, centrist, whatever. It's not even a matter of being political. What it really comes down to is is how do we live as Christians in a world which is, you know, increasingly growing more hostile, which is trying to cancel everything, you know, how do we show that good witness in a way that is consistent with our faith? The only way that that's going to happen is if we are truly in the word being shaped by it so that we are taking our political outlooks, if you will, from the scriptures and not just from the culture around us. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Well, well said. And with that, we are at time. Zellin. It was a fun episode, so we'll see. Um, you know, if we're still here after this episode, we got some great stuff coming up in the coming <laughs> weeks. But this has been A Word Fitly Spoken. If you like what you heard and want to know more, check us out, wordfitlyspoken.org, facebook.com slash wordfitly, or Twitter at wordfitly. I'm Willie Grills, here with Zell and Heidi. God love you, and God bless.
A good name is better than precious ointment, and the day of death than the day of birth. It is better to go to the house of mourning than go to the house of feasting, for this is the end of all mankind, and the living will lay it to heart. Sorrow is better than laughter, for by sadness of face the heart is made glad. The heart of the wise is in the house of mourning, but the heart of fools is in the house of mirth. It is better for a man to hear the rebuke of the wise than to hear the song of fools. For as the crackling of thorns under a pot, so is the laughter of the fools. This also is vanity. Surely oppression drives the wise into madness, and a bribe corrupts the heart. Better is the end of a thing than its beginning, and the patient in spirit is better than the proud in spirit. Ecclesiastes.